You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Queen City Church, our live stream. We have a few people we've assigned to the Amen Corner to help us along a little bit. But um, so good just to uh, be able to come to you this morning or whenever you watch. Um, But we're just so thankful, thankful to be here, thankful to know the Lord, thankful to have him to lean and rely on and trust in, and um, particularly during days like weeks like these weeks and months like these months, but I sincerely believe there's light at the end of the tunnel. Things don't go on forever. We're going to see a brighter day. It's going to be awesome. The Lord, uh, I think he's cleaning out the cobwebs. Uh, we may be going through uh, more of a reset than we could ever even imagine. We may look back on years, look back on these days and years ahead and really... Um, be thankful for the things that have transpired. Of course, we are uh, one of the things Donna and I have been praying for is justice in the in the nation on a lot of different lines. Donna was reminding me of um, a couple of situations in the ministry and life of David, where uh, until um, justice was restored. There was still famine or even pestilence in the land. And so I'm asking the Lord to really help us get some things right. How many of you want that to happen in our nation? We get some things right. We make some adjustments. I don't know that we can fix everything all at once, but um, I think, too, about that whole Epstein episode, those poor children that um, were abused like that. It's just absolutely diabolically terrible, and I pray that the Lord will really render some justice there and protect, you know, protect our children, for goodness sake. Um, of course, we, uh, we're asking, too, for true racial reconciliation. I don't know how many of you read my book, um, Harbinger of Hope, but one of, the, uh, one of the five provisions God had for our nation was Um, a new vision for the United States, and it really did have to do, and I mentioned it very clearly in the book, Racial Reconciliation. So we all need to be very aware of what we can do. Uh, Of course, we're going to continue to live stream our services. We're wondering ourselves when we need to get back to people in-house. I want to do it as soon as we can, as soon as it makes sense. So we're still praying about that. Well, I have had um, great joy and insight and inspiration in studying and reading in the life of Jacob recently. And I have, I don't know, maybe four, maybe even five different segments I'd like to do. And this is part two, Life of Jacob, part two. And I call this one Alone and Wrestling, colon, Jacob Prevails. Alone and Wrestling, but Jacob Prevails. And just to, um, just to give this a parenthesis, this season has been a real wrestling time. How many of you would agree? Uh, people are wrestling with circumstances beyond their control. They're wrestling with fears, 
fears about getting sick. They're wrestling with societal troubles, personal troubles, financial issues. And I have a lot, I have an idea that a lot of this wrestling actually involves wrestling over people's personal identities. You know, who am I in this? Um, how does this affect me? Where am I going to go from here? But this has been a real wrestling time. But I, I believe at the end of it all, we may discover that we have actually been wrestling with God. That although we have all these different issues behind them, we might discover what Jacob discovered, that we were actually wrestling with God. Or more importantly, and that's what we're going to see this morning, he has been wrestling with us. When you read the text very clearly, it doesn't really say that Jacob wrestled with God. It says that God wrestled with Jacob. And that indicates God initiated that, not necessarily Jacob. Jacob may have actually been defending himself. We'll have to uh, sort of take a look at that and think about it. But uh, that's quite an idea that we both want to wrestle with God or defend ourselves from God. Um, but anyway, he wrestled with God, and we'll see the text in a minute. He wrestled with God one night until the breaking of day. And there's so many prophetic pictures in this episode, so I want to read it now from Genesis 32, verses 22 through 31. And these are such such tremendous verses. Verse 22, And he, Jacob, arose that night, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. It's the best way I could pronounce that, Jabbok. J-A-B-B-O-K. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. And I think that's a real key concept here, um, particularly for us in this season when there's been so much loneliness and being left alone. But there can be a very important and significant thing that happens when we're left alone. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him, a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, the man touched the socket of Jacob's hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And the man said, let me go for the day breaks. But he, Jacob, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So, he said to him, what is your name? We want to look at that in a minute. When Jacob asked for a blessing, God says, oh, so you want a blessing. What's your name? Something very significant going on there. So, he said, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And the man said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. Let me read that. And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. So, 
Let me look at last week because I want to set this up even more this morning. Last week we looked at the episode in Jacob's life, one specific one, and I could sum up Jacob's worldview in that particular time of his life this way about Jacob. He said, all these things are against me. That was Jacob's worldview. When he looked at what was going on, when I say worldview, that's how he viewed life. Everything was against him. In the midst of our current situation, I'm sure many people feel the same way today. We discovered, though, in the final analysis of Jacob's actual experience that the exact opposite was true. And with the eyes of faith, we can discover that it's true for us today. You may want to go back and listen to last week uh, if you didn't hear that. And one of the uh, verses that I highlight to put this into context, and I believe this one verse alone has the capacity to make us hopeful people, to give us hope, real hope. And Romans 8, 28, the Passion Translation says, so we are convinced, so that we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his divine purpose. And so I think that one unshakable verse, if we're convinced of that, we'll look at life in much more hope-filled way. Well, we can gain hope from Jacob's life and the testimony of the Scripture. Remember, the extraordinary value of hope and that biblical hope is this, a confident expectation of good. And if we're already experiencing what we're hoping for, we wouldn't need hope. I mean, that's the essence of what it is to have hope. Hope is a legitimate manifestation of God in our hearts, our lives, and our spirit that gives us courage to look for the thing we don't have yet. There's no shame in not having it. That's not a lack of faith. No, we need hope. We need that legitimate biblical hope. And if we can see that God really is working everything we're going through for our good, the the literal response to that, if you have really seen that, is hope. So everything was working for Jacob's good. Let me say that again. Everything was working for Jacob's good. Even the heartache, misunderstanding, the deceit, the dysfunctionality of Jacob's family, even the famine, the threat of death, God used to benefit, bless him and his family, preserve not only his life, but the lineage of Jesus the Messiah. Jesus came out of that natural family line that God preserved. So God turned everything that Jacob was convinced was against him into an intricate, inexplicable plan to bless him and transform his life. How's that? Is that okay? Well, this week we find Jacob in an earlier episode of his life. And the interesting thing is you can almost never look at one episode of Jacob and not see that he's in some kind of really deep trouble. And I like this idea. Jesus told the Pharisees, they were arguing over the resurrection from the dead. And Jesus said one in one short, swift sentence, absolutely, completely collapsed their argument. He said, God is the God, according to your, according to the scripture, God is the God of Abraham, 
the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So he did two things in that one sentence. He said, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive because God is the God of. And Jesus, nor the scriptures say, it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Because Israel is like the transformed Jacob. Actually, if you look closely, Jacob and Israel, their names go back and forth virtually throughout the rest of his life. And one of the commentators says, it's because Israel was the name Jacob could identify with when he was living in faith. Because he would have transformative encounters with the Lord by faith. That's a very interesting idea. But the wonderful thing is God didn't say he was God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's like God saying, I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of your very worst version of yourself. Come on. Come on. Got somebody on the 50-yard line that really liked that. So we find Jacob in an earlier episode. Here's the background. As a young man, he had stolen and manipulated to take from his brother Esau both the birthright and the blessing that were rightfully Esau's. Both were very valuable in a spiritual and financial sense. The birthright gave Jacob the largest portion of his father's inheritance that Esau rightly deserved by being the firstborn. But Jacob's trickery so infuriated his brother that Jacob ran for his life. He lived for years with his uncle Laban. He married Rachel and Leah, Laban's daughters. And now with great accumulated wealth and 11 children, he was returning to try to be reunited with his brother Esau. In actual fact, he was returning in obedience to the command of the Lord to go back there because that was where his little inheritance was that he became although through trickery, technically the rightful owner of. But Jacob was really afraid of Esau because he thought Esau would still want to kill him. So that's where we find Jacob as we read and have read um, those earlier verses. You can put those back up on the screen maybe if they wanted to review them. But this morning we're looking at alone in wrestling, Jacob prevails. And that really is good news because Jacob prevailed through an extremely difficult season and he came out better than he went in. How many of you would like to come out of this better than you went into it? Well, I believe that's what we need to look for. I really do. I believe that's what God's doing. Let's don't waste this time. So I want to jump right into verses 22 and 24. And it says... um, And he arose that night, took his two wives, his two male servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed over the ford Jabbok. Verse 23, he took them and sent them over the brook, sent them over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, what Jacob had determined to do was he had found out that his brother was across Uh, the brook with 400 of his men. And Jacob had sent everything he had over to appease his brother, to try to make peace with his brother. But he stayed on the far side of that brook that night. And that's that's when we come to verse 24. Jacob was left alone. 
Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking, the breaking of the day. So this, this episode occurred at the Ford Jabbok. Ford means crossing place, and Jabbok means emptying. Both words have prophetic meaning in our story, and it's very interesting that this is where, uh, that, uh, that even the, the geography, even this geography speaks to the situation that Jacob was in. But Jacob was in a place in his life where he needed to cross over from a bad place to a good place. But he was also in an emptying place. So he was in a place of crossing over, but he was also in a place called Jabbok or emptying. But he needed to change and to be emptied of his old ways, but Jacob was not able to change himself. How many of you tried to change yourself? That's a pretty fruitless endeavor. Well, Jacob's name means shyster, trickster, schemer, but he was basically a con man, and he used his wits to gain everything he had. And that's who he thought he was. But God had a better idea of who Jacob was, but Jacob could never reach his full potential in his own strength because you can't be transformed through self-effort, through striving or human wisdom or natural strength or energy. I was thinking about this too, times in my life where Breakthrough, a change of possibility, however you want to put that, oftentimes came after a time of real experiential weakness. It often came after a time of what the Bible would typify as a breaking, a breaking point. And you can even see a type of it when Jesus would bless and break bread because it's broken bread. Until bread's broken, it doesn't nourish you. And there's really something true about until our lives are broken, until that sort of root of ego and that root of arrogance, that sort of condescending and that sort of critical, accusatory thing, that, that, that self-centered thing is not dealt with to some point. It's like even if we had a breakthrough, we'd still mess it up. But to be to cross over. Everybody wants to cross over, but nobody wants to cross and able to cross over. And the cross is this strange, mysterious thing that happens after you're a believer where suddenly you find yourself weaker than you ever knew you were or, or ever were or failing in areas you never failed in before. And suddenly you find out that there are things in your life since you become a believer that God's simply putting to death. And until he does, you can't manifest, you can't enter in maybe to that kind of life of the resurrected Christ. Now, there's a lot to be said about all that. And what I just said is not necessarily the most accurate um, description of it. Nevertheless, there's a lot of truth in what I say. But even the geographical name of the place of Jacob's encounter affirmed that he could not change on his own. This crossing over speaks of that aspect of the cross where it is we must die to our old way of living and tap into this life of Jesus that currently abides within every, every believer. But I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that may take some wrestling. A lot of things in the spiritual life are not just automatic. They come by process. Sometimes they come by wrestling. 
We're going to see this here in the life of Jacob. I think a lot of people are wrestling right now. I think a lot of people have become weary like Jacob was weary and afraid of what lies ahead or what's going on currently just like Jacob was. Jacob was afraid for his life. He was afraid for his wife's life, his wife's life, his servant's lives, his 11 children's lives. He was afraid for every single thing. He did not know when he crossed that river what he was going to meet on the other side. And so in that situation, with that mindset, a man wrestled with Jacob. Well, where did he come from? Who was he? Well, in short form, I believe it was the Lord. Angel of the Lord, um, however you want to put it. But whoever it was spoke for the Lord, spoke as the Lord. Where did this, who was this man? Well, it was the same man that met Joshua prior to conquering Jericho. Joshua chapter 5, and there's such a rich, a rich concept here. We need to read this. Verse 13 of Joshua 5. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and he looked. And behold, a man, just like a man there in Genesis 32. A man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, how many of you remember what he, what he said? Are you for us or our adversaries? So he said, no. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped. And he said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Because Joshua suddenly realized he had fully entered into us versus them. And he assumed anyone of any strength or power was going to have to make that same decision. Us or them. Who are you for? But it was the Lord. And he said, no. Wrong question. <laughs> no. I come as commander. Take your shoes off your feet. And I think that's what we may need to do. We don't understand the conflict going on in our nation. Maybe we need to see a higher order of being than those who gladly enter into us versus them. Maybe we need to live above the snake line. Maybe we need to see the reality of what it means to be seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean we don't make choices. That doesn't mean we don't make decisions. But we don't get pulled in to an adversarial position where they're only winners or losers. And that is not what it is to be a believer. That is not what it is to look at society where they're only winners or losers. As commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. So are we fighting natural battles or do we recognize something spiritual is going on? Paul said, for we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Uh, evil forces in high places. And we, we, can't, we can't forget that. 
But we do. We need to move up. We don't even need to move up into that higher plane. We need to recognize the place God's given us because everything we receive, we receive by grace. We don't earn a spot in a higher realm. We realize we have been given that place and we learn how to function with a different viewpoint. We learn how to function with an overarching higher vision. And it's from that place you can actually be effective in this other us versus them place. But here's the question, I think. Are we securely under the lordship of Jesus? Trusting him, finding that plan. Well, a man showed up and wrestled, initiated a wrestling with Jacob. And a man showed up and initiated, actually initiated some conflict there with Joshua because he wasn't in agreement with Joshua. But Joshua needed to come into agreement with the commander, the captain of the Lord's hosts. Oh, the same man appeared in the fiery furnace with the three Hebrew children. How, how, how long has it been since we thought about these great Bible stories? About Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace because they would not, when the sack butt and the flute and the harp and all those strange instruments wouldn't sound, they wouldn't bow. So they said, whoever doesn't bow, we're going to throw you into this fiery furnace. And they said, well, either, oh, listen, what faith this took. This is Hebrews faith. Either God will deliver us or God will not deliver us. Nevertheless, that's nevertheless faith. Maybe we'll make it. Maybe we won't. Nevertheless, we will not bow. And so they threw those three brave men into the fiery, burning midst of the burning inferno. <laughs> Flames ripping, coals searing everything but those three men. Even the people that threw them in there burn them up. And that's such an awesome picture. At times we may discover we have enemies that want to put us into a dangerous and dastardly and, and painful and destructive place only to find out we're preserved and they're dealt with by the very thing they tried to throw us into, almost like Haman's gallows set up for the Jewish people. Haman and his sons were the only people that hung from that. And I wouldn't ask that God hang them. But it's up to God. You know what I'm saying. You don't want that. But God's got the last word. But King Nebuchadnezzar looked down in that furnace. And he said, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king, look, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. That's who's with us. But a man wrestled with him. I always thought Jacob wrestled with the man. I mean, they were both wrestling, but the idea here is that the man initiated the wrestling. The man chose to show up when Jacob was alone. It's not just that Jacob wrestled with the man, but the man wrestled with Jacob. That means the Lord initiated the wrestling. The Lord was more committed to helping Jacob become transformed than Jacob may have been himself. 
It could be that Jacob didn't even know he could live a different way. It could be that he didn't even know that God wanted to help him, that God would help him find a new way, live a new way. But it looks to me very clearly like God initiated this life-changing encounter as painful as it may have been, but he was doing it for Jacob's good. If you've been wrestling in these days, you may actually be wrestling with the Lord who has a better way of living for you than you've been experiencing. Do it, Lord. That's who's in the wrestling match with Jacob. It was the Lord. That's who was in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was the Lord. That's who commandeered Joshua into the greatest victory that Hebrew army had ever experienced up to that point. So this idea of wrestling, sometimes faith is trusting or letting go. Sometimes faith is hanging on or refusing to let go until you get what you're after. It seems like what happened to Jacob, though, is that God weakened, weakened him until he cried out for help. We actually confirm that in the book of Hosea in a minute. But he finally stopped wrestling and prayed in a way that God answered his prayer. When his natural strength, his ability to con and control diminished, he transitioned from natural strength which failed him into a place of legit prayer. I read some of these commentaries, one of them by Kyle and Delich. They said it this way. It can be said that it was till all hope of maintaining the conflict by bodily strength was taken from him that he had recourse to the weapon of prayer. Well, I don't think you have to be absolutely destroyed before you can have that kind of faith. You know what I'm saying? I think God just points us in a direction. But Hosea chapter 12 talks about this very episode. It reads this way. Yes, he being Jacob struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. Now, you don't see the weeping. You don't see the weeping in the text, but Hosea saw weeping in the text. He understood it to be there. And what was Jacob asking God for? He was asking God for favor. He was done. He was finished. And so God granted him favor. Let's read this. And this is a bizarre text, honestly. It's so strange. God tells Jacob to let him go. I had an idea. Let's think about this for a second. Can God be conquered? Yes, God can be conquered by how much he loves us. There was something in God towards Jacob so profound that he allowed Jacob to hang on. God, I mean, come on, God couldn't have broken his grip. You know, what, like a heavenly karate chop to the wrist? I think that would have done it. But no, there was something also going on in God, not just something going on in Jacob. 
there was something significant in the Lord to help Jacob actually begin to see who Jacob really was. And Jacob really, in his essence, wasn't Jacob. He was Israel. He was not that con man. He was that prince. He was something much more profound than what he had settled for or, or what he had yielded to in his own life. And so he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Let me read that again. Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the next word in verse 27 is this word, so. He said to him, what's your name? And here's, here's what I'm seeing there. The key to Jacob receiving a blessing was for Jacob to fully admit to and deal with his Jacobness. Oh, you want blessing, you want favor. Yes, so you want that. Then what's your name? And he said, Jacob. And see, there's this tremendous truth called owning to disown. It's when we own who we are that we can disown who we are and receive the blessing of the Lord. It's the mystery of grace. It's the mystery of grace and faith. <clears throat> but sometimes it takes an aloneness and a wrestling to come to that point where experience of breaking, which precedes fresh light, fresh revelation, peace and joy, that breaking of the day. But Adam's great mistake in the garden was blame shifting. We can't afford to blame shift. We have to take our blame. And that's what I hear there. God was fully willing for the transforming power to come as Jacob realized who he was, owned it, disowned it, and then God released to him grace and faith. This is a great mystery and value of grace and faith. You own and disown you believe and receive grace, or you receive grace and you believe. Which way is it? Yes. Yes. You, I don't know. Both we find. Grace to believe, faith to receive grace. But I really do believe this. I believe God really can be conquered by how much he loves us. I think I see this in the story of Jacob wrestling with God. Because God initiated the bout. Jacob alone, suddenly a man was there who had determined to wrestle with Jacob. God loved Jacob so much he didn't want to leave him as he found him. I believe God was in the process of bringing Jacob into faith and out of living by his wits. His striving and his natural cleverness and strength would never enable him to live a fulfilled life, but faith in God would enable him to. I've been reading some in Francois Dutois' Mirror Study Bible, and in his introduction, he writes this. It's really really uh, inspirational and it's a blessing. God knew you before he formed you in your mother's womb. The Bible records how the invisible engineer of the universe found expression 
of his image and his likeness in visible form in human life. Now listen to this. When God imagined you, and we're about to have communion, so Andy, why don't you, why don't you come on as I tie this up? When God imagined you, he imagined a being whose intimate friendship would intrigue him for eternity. Mankind would be partner in God's triune oneness. His image and likeness would be unmasked in human life. That one phrase touched me. When God imagined me, he imagined a being whose intimate friendship would intrigue him for eternity. Amen. Hopefully you have your communion elements ready at home. I'm going to be reading from John chapter 6. It goes like this. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up and on the last day, raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So I would just like to point out that in this particular passage, there's so much going on here. But one of the easy things that we can see is that part of abiding in Christ is participating in communion, in the Eucharist. So, Father, we thank you for this moment of, of getting to abide with you, for raising our eyes and our hearts to the reality that oneness with you isn't something for the future, but it's something for the here and now. And we want to be a people who are partaking of your life. We want to partake of your life in our lives. And we thank you for this bread and this this cup this morning, Lord. Um, 
Amen. Also, I, I don't have this part of the passage written down, but, you know, the words of Jesus at this moment were so radical and extreme that the passage goes on to say that so many of his followers left him at this point. It was very strange, mysterious words that Jesus was was saying. And, and I don't know about you, but I still have a sense of strangeness and mysteriousness when I take communion. To me, the practice of communion is it's kind of entering into something that I don't have full understanding on, but that's okay, isn't it? Sometimes you just have to do what the Lord says before you even have the full understanding. So our hope and our expectation is that as we partake of this, that we are really entering into the life of Christ this morning. So at the Last Supper, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, take this, eat it. This is my body given for you. As often as you take it, remember me. So why don't we go go ahead and eat the bread? Jesus, we remember you and we proclaim your death this morning. And then again, on that same night, Jesus took the wine and he blessed it. And he said, take and drink. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, remember me. So, Lord, in like manner, you bless the cup. And we, we pray your blessing over this cup right now. And we partake of the new covenant together. Well, friends, we want to thank you this morning for being with us uh, online. We've had a few people in the room with us this morning, and it's been so great. We'll be back here online next week at the same time. But keep keep praying with us that uh, we'll eventually get back into the room together. We believe that's going to happen sooner than later. But until it does, uh, let your friends know that we're online and Keep joining us on Sunday mornings. We'll see you soon. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.